The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome to The Legendarium. When he, when he takes the needle of adrenaline and stabs it into Severo's heart, and his <laughs> eyes go wide, and he pops up and he says, yeah, anyway, I can't drop that because we're trying to be a family-friendly podcast. Uh, but you guys know what it is. Welcome to The Legendarium. This is episode 196, and we are the blue team, Megan, Ken, and Todd. Uh, we have come to finish off our series on Red Riding. Uh, or Rising. Red Rising. Sorry, Red Riding. I saw Red Riding Hood yesterday at the Fairy Tale Festival. No, I'm not the big bad wolf, but I will say, all the better to see you with. Um, I, I was thinking like Red Rider BB gun. <laughs> oh, That's Red Rider BB gun. Okay. I have been the big bad wolf at the Fairy Tale Festival. Okay, while my daughter was Red Riding Hood. Okay, that's just sick. It was adorable. It would probably be kind of cute. We are <laughs> we are ready to put the uh, put the finishing touches on the Red Rising trilogy. Although it's really probably not fair to call it a trilogy. It's kind of an a mor- morphing into a much larger series. It's a trilogy in the same sense that the Mistborn is a trilogy, <laughs> and then the Wax and Wayne series comes after it. Yeah. I think. Okay. Yes. Okay. We'll take that. So. We'll take that. Um, before we get started and, and dive into the subject matter, because I, it, frankly, I'm, I'm sure that some of our listeners have been really anxious about us finishing this off, but they have been no more anxious than I have been because I have been waiting for two weeks to talk to you guys about this. Poor Todd. I have just been bursting at the <laughs> seams for wanting to talk about stuff. So, uh, some housekeeping issues, patreon.com slash legendarium to go to support the podcast. Uh, of course you can also find us on uh, Venmo or PayPal if you would like to do that as well. Um, the, uh, legendarium slash, uh, excuse me, legendarium.reddit.com. The legendarium.reddit.com. Oh, there we go. Uh, that frightens me. You want us, you want me to do different intros? We no, should no, no. probably like introduce ourselves. At I least. did. I did. Ken and uh, Megan and Ken and Todd, you know, blue team. We're the blue team. We said blue team. I, I don't know. <laughs> Ken, this Ken is, is a great episode. Ken is having a difficult time today. He's, Remember how he's we're supposed to be less age. than an hour? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll edit this out in post, like right? we always do. Yes. yes. Right. Um, so, uh, by the way of housekeeping, we also want to let you know that because this is the final uh, final approach that we're going to be doing to uh, Red, Riding, uh, Red Rising, we need to start a new series or a new process, and we're going to be doing that with the Dresden Files. So, yeah, some of us have been looking forward to doing these for a little while. And I know a lot of them. Stay, a lot of our Redditors Stay have been close excited. as well, because the month of October is going to hold a very special Halloween surprise. Also, isn't our 100th episode going to be in October? Two, 200. 200. 200. Oh, my 200. gosh. I'm sorry. Yeah, and you were making fun of me just a few moments ago. I wasn't here for all of that. <laughs> so, with that said, um, Ken, are we good with a summary? Are you ready to oh, go? Oh, we got our, we got our recap. Here we go. Sort of. Give it. Give us what you got, Ken. We'll Battle. fill in the. We'll fill in the details we, we, after. We fill in the. We fill in the holes admirably. Battle lines have been drawn, and a system. <laughs> Craig, just go away. Battle lines have been drawn, and a system-wide civil war rages, even among Golds loyal to the sovereign and those who support low-color liberation, carried out brutally by the jackals' insane anti-howler posse. Daryl finds himself weakened, emaciated, bruised, delirious. But hey, nine months in a jackal Turkish prison camp will do that to you. But his betrayal in the garden did succeed in getting the system rolling toward chaos, and Darrow realizes quickly that his fight so far 
was pretty neat and tidy compared to the real war that we're now introduced to. Gold on gold crime between inner planets and outer planets. Low color paramilitary groups have risen up to sow chaos. Innocent victims and unattended consequences. Several running around causing mayhem like a rabbit hammer in a kitten factory. But. But Mustang's second Jupiter moon rebellion isn't as exciting as expected, and Roke proves that he's good at three things. Whining, stabbing people in the back, and destroying fleets. Turns out that Quicksilver's the original son of Ares, more like the sons of Reagan. He's a double agent who wants to bring down the system and bring the benefit of sweet, sweet capitalism. The Rising recruits the Obsidian at the expense of Ragnar. Sad. Too bad oh it's gosh. failed and colossally, pun intended, because Ragnar's mom is on the take. But his sister isn't. Regardless, it gets them into Olympus II, Asgard, where they again lay waste to a mountain home of the gods and muscle humanity's Klingons into a civil war. And matricide. Yeah. <laughs> it's about this time that life got crazy for me and I kind of lost track of the recap. So, But basically, the jackals stockpiling helium-3 and high-yield nukes in an effort to become the new sovereign. Both sides entreaty the Outer Rim planets to join the fight against the Red Menace with a beautiful, chaotic, frantic, brutal orgy of level one punching. Darrow sows victory over Roke's fleet and then pulls an absolute dick move by destroying the moon's his uh, moon ally's dockyards. Guilt threatens to take him until Victor goes all goodwill hunting and reminds him it's not his fault. Yeah. Uh, the rebel scum take the war to the inner sanctum of the Empire. Twist, Cassius, and Antonia kill several and deliver Darrow and Mustang to the Sovereign. But double twist, it's a fake. And several of the... And several is <laughs> faked his death. Cassius fakes being bad. Darrow fakes remorse. And they all kill Aja and the Sovereign. <laughs> and in the only move that could really make any sense, they raise Mustang to the head of the new government. And it's all happy and bright. Right? Right? <laughs> Question mark? Oh, and Darrow and Mustang totally have a baby. So there's that. Oh, you were gonna. You're you're giving that one away. Okay, yeah, you know. Well. So, all right, and uh, I typically have questions here, but I really I didn't have time to come up with them. So, you know, Mustang, she's the only real choice. Um, everything's fuzzy and bright after here, right? Those are my questions. And yeah, uh, remember, yeah. nothing brings a podcast closer together than swapping out each other's eyes. <laughs> yeah, bye, Felicia. That was oh that was kind of that was kind of disgusting. Wait a minute, that let's was, try that again. Okay, there you go. That nicely done. Thank you. <laughs> there Ken. you go. All right, so so that's that. Let, Morning before, Star, we can go home. Bef- so things happen. <laughs> before we do anything else, let's let's talk a little bit about uh I, I want to ask the question for you guys. And I wanna I wanna do this first because I think if we don't do it first, we'll never get around to talking about it. What do you think about the development of Pierce Brown as a writer, starting with the first book, moving all the way through this one? Did you see development? Did you see improvement? Did you see things that you liked? Did you see things that changed? Uh you have the you have biographical stuff on our background on Pierce Brown, but is this was Red Rising his first book? Yes, because yes. I between Red Rising and now, I mean, you can see that there's a lot more uh, depth to his writing. I thought Red Rising he did a great job of bringing emotional impact to a lot of his uh, deaths in particular, but a lot of his scenes, his well, his death of Ragnar, holy crap, that yeah. one, that one even just. I, I did like an auto, not an audible, but a visual shoulder drop. Just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. The yeah. way, the way he handled that was insane. And I, I think he's, he's only gotten better at it. There were some things I thought that he were cheap. I, I, sorry, I'm scrambling for a word there. I guess a little bit cheap. I don't know if that's really the right word, but he, he used a lot in, in trying to uh, massage the, the, change of of uh, government and everything he used a lot of modern 
references. Yeah. A lot of current times references and stuff. Yeah, he did it. He he did an interesting deal but, of of throwing in some ancient stuff with some current stuff that is current for us mm-hmm. and some allusions to some things that probably are supposed to happen 150 years from now. So, okay. you know, there was a little bit of that going on. So, yeah, I, I saw some of that. Megan, what did you think? Um, well, it was it was interesting. Um, I have the Kindle version. I do not like to listen to things on Audible the way you guys do. Uh, I don't pay as much attention. So I have to read it. And um, at the end of the novel, he kind of goes into his acknowledgments and thank yous. And he makes a comment that he realized after he read, he wrote the first, after he wrote Red Rising, that he um, really relied on his friends to be writing because he acknowledges, you know, it's my first book and I was writing in my garage and mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's his friends that really helped to prop him up and help him to tell the story. And when, while telling the story, it's really it's the side characters, it's Darrow's friends who make this an interesting story and helps him to succeed. Uh, and so I saw, and I, I realized I'd seen a lot more of that, especially in this book where everybody has more than a moment to shine. Everybody has a lot to do. Everybody is integral. In, integral. integral. Thank you. Somebody once said integral? No. What integral. Was it? Yes. I don't know. And now Welcome I can't. Welcome to Utah, folks. Like, Welcome to Utah. Intricate and integral. Inter- I can't say it. So... They're important, yeah. you know, but everybody, I, I appreciated that everybody had a moment to shine. I would like to say, I no longer think that this is young adult fiction. Oh yeah. <laughs> that, there is, there's one thing that he did definitely uh, start to uh, modify a little bit. Uh, the first one did feel a little bit more. I, it was, it was a lot of action sequences. I, I wrote yeah. down one line that I, I wanted to pat myself on the back for, cause I thought it was clever. I, Morningstar gives a much closer Hunger Games feel. I mean, everybody's talking yes. about Red Rising was yes. very Hunger Games feel. I didn't feel it in Hunger Games or in, in Red Rising, but this one felt much more like Mockingjay if Mockingjay had been well-written. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. All of the, all of the, sure. uh, the interpolitical civil war yeah. stuff and strife and conflict and that and the, the one savior who wasn't destined to lead but was destined to create the rebellion and, and everything. And yeah. The the one thing that I think I enjoyed uh, most about the development, and and I think we see this in in every author's work, even if the the original piece of work is written as a as a single, the the original trilogy gets written as a single story, but then gets broken up as they work with uh, they they get the first one published, and then they get an opportunity to work with um, professional editing staff and right. a professional publishing staff. You see things that start to become a little cleaner, a little a little better crafted. Um, a yeah. little more thoughtfully put together. Mm-hmm. And so there were, it, one of the things that I really liked about it though, and I, I am, I'm anticipating, have not had the chance to ask him, would love the chance, um, but have not had the, it, I, it feels like in the first book, there were, he was doing a lot of foreshadowing and putting, and, yeah. and setting a lot of things in place. And it really became clear when, the, when he gets to Asgard and he finds some of the old proctors from the Institute <laughs> right. uh-huh. waiting for him as the people that, at, and he, the what, the one time that he looks at the guy who's supposed to be Odin and the guy just has this look on his face like, oh, crap, you again? Yeah. I have to deal with you again? <laughs> uh, which I, I laughed yeah. out loud. Um, well, I'm, I'm sure yeah. the people that were that were driving on the road beside me were wondering what I was upset about because I was laughing and <laughs> gesticulating quite loudly so or quite yeah. broadly. So it was a lot of fun. I will say it bugged me a lot more. I It didn't bother me in the first two novels, um, the first person where... I can't remember who brought it up after the first book where 
Um, Darrow knows things that they hide from us, even though it's written in first person. Yeah. And that whole, yeah. like, the last sequence. So really let's, that was, a, yeah, that was another problem. I was there kind too. of annoyed. Let's that talk that's about one that. Of those things I was let's talk about well. that. Um, because that was one of the, one of the things that I had written down for my high points and interesting ideas was the way that, um, we get this, we get this moment, um, Cassius and, uh, Antonia, Antonia are, are now at a place where they break out of prison. Mm -hmm. They, they murder Severo. They throw everybody into this, into this, um, box, which is horrific. Like it just, it's all awful. It, it was, yeah. it, it was a, and, and as they're doing that, they're relating things in he's relating things in Daryl's and Daryl's mind and he's like he's so mortified that Severo is dead and it's just and and for me uh, that was unearned because uh -huh. if he yeah. had if he had been Daryl if if Daryl really had thought all of this through I realized he was trying to keep us as readers on the edge of our seats yeah it was yeah but I would really but but I'm reading that and I'm thinking to myself Oh, this is a total mismatch because if that had happened, Darrow would have been thinking to himself, this is one of the most disgusting things I've ever had to deal with. Yeah. And it's running yep. exactly according to plan. It was it was too convoluted right. and cute because I and I think this is specifically the problem with the first person narrative in a story like this, because we're in Darrow's mind. We're thinking what he's thinking. And there's a disconnect between how he's being affected by this and and what he actually knows yeah. and, I think, and there's and there's that disconnect because we're not supposed to know it yet right right and so. i i i think it would have been a stronger choice to have darrow not actually know that that was the outcome right if cassius and Severo had somehow put this together there was or something or like if, I, I wasn't really that upset that Severo was still alive it was it was the fact that darrow knew all along and i'm like this this all feels very unearned no and, in fact yeah. i was um, i was very glad Severo was still alive because i, I texted you and i wanted to text you megan <laughs> because you the moment me. the moment that Severo and victor got married i was like oh Severo's gonna Someone's die gonna and then die. i think i i think i texted you back yeah. and said hang on yeah you did <laughs> i i did i'm like oh this is too happy Severo's gonna die and then he died and i'm like no, I, I did the same thing. Right. I, and then he was alive. And I'm like, I love being wrong. Well, but no, you were right in that you thought that Severo was going to get to kill Aja and he was very integral. Yes. In oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like he was, he, yes. I he love that it. it took four of them to take her down I because uh, well, she is so mean. They, they were also injured. They, I know. But they, they made that very much a, 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 a moment for not just Aja, but for also for a, for an interesting level two piece that I want to talk about in, in just a couple of minutes. Okay. Um, but I, but I want to, as we end this, this conversation, this piece, I, I just want to suggest that I think as I'm going back and I'm thinking about this from a craft standpoint, I think there would have been ways for Pierce to have given us a glimpse that there was a plan in place yeah. without giving us an indication of what the plan was all about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was, uh, as I, as I think back on it, the, the tension, um, after it's all resolved and we find out that Severo's okay. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to be able to go back and reread that in the same way yeah. um, because because now none of that tension is real. And I think there could have been ways for him to have given us some breadcrumbs along the way that might have indicated something different. And and admittedly, there were some other breadcrumbs that were being given along the way for everything else that was going on. Mm -hmm. The space battle that was going on, all of the all of the pieces that were going on outside of the Dragon's Maw were being hinted at. Right. Um, but but just that one big, huge emotional moment uh, felt a little bit unearned. However, having said that, uh, one of the one of the highlights that I made in the book was when he 
when he when he takes the needle of adrenaline and stabs it into Severo's heart, and his <laughs> eyes go wide, and he pops up and he says, "Yeah, anyway, I can't drop that because we're trying to be a family friendly <laughs> podcast." Uh, but you guys know what it is. That was a question on Reddit from uh, from several of our redditors uh, about Cassius's heel face turn. <laughs> when when did you see it, and how did you feel about it? And uh, honestly, I didn't I didn't see it immediately. I didn't I didn't catch it until it was happening. And I, I don't know. I I saw it as soon as he said, "I will not leave your side." I was like, "Oh, okay, something's coming. Yeah. Something's coming." Yeah. So I I don't. I didn't see it. At, I didn't see I it when he know. shot Severo. I yeah. didn't see it when they were when they. And I certainly didn't see it when he cut off his hand. Right. Oh gosh, yeah. And oh, that, that was, was that was a moment where I was like, "Wow, way to sell that one." From that standpoint, although he was hesitant about cutting off the light, he did not seem thrilled about. No, but that. And, right. and and Pierce Brown made a good case for how that was going to work. So anyway, I could see the heel face turn coming from the very beginning when he gives. You know, he's he's affected by how brutally Darrow is treated. You know, in his yeah. year of captivity, he gives him his cloak, um, tries to. So you could kind of see it there coming a little bit, and I think that was one of the predictions that we made at the end of golden sun was that if not pure redemption for, for Cassius, maybe a little bit of a coming around moment. It turns out there was full redemption, but yeah. um, I don't know. I, and I don't know how I feel about that, but at the same time, I don't, I, the story was well-written, so yeah. it doesn't matter how I feel about it. This is a, this is an, uh, another thing that's kind of interesting is that he's uh, Pierce Brown takes a couple of moments to really insert some vignettes um, some vignette pieces that could almost be standalone short mm-hmm. stories on their own with with the right kind of uh, prelude. Um, and the one where he um, where he takes Cassius into the uh, into the quarters. Oh yeah. And they yeah. have their chat, and they have to talk through and figure things out after he's um, after he saved his life after right. he's worked all of those things through and he takes him into his quarters. Um, I, the, the part that I, the part and a wonderful scene where they discuss some different things and, you know, Cassius comes to the conclusion, you know, it wasn't you that killed Julian. We all killed Julian because of the way that this process runs. And we start to see a change in Cassius. Um, the part that I highlighted was I raise my glass and he, his, and we drink in silence. But before we part for the night, I give him a hollow cube to watch in his cell. The irony is not lost on him. The the hollow cube that was presented to him in the first novel mm-hmm. is what turns him on Darrow. A hollow cube again is what's going to turn him right back. It's almost poetic, and it has everything. Well, again, I I think Pier- <laughs> this is a place where Pierce Brown, if he didn't write this, if he didn't write it exactly that way, he did a wonderful job of making sure that he wove the foreshadowing in, and I was yeah, sure. very pleased. That was a that was a scene, an entire vignette that I really enjoyed. Were there oh. any other vignettes? Uh, or scenes like that that you guys said, you know what? I really enjoyed that. I'm glad that this was included in this book. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily a scene that I enjoyed or not, but I was glad it was in the book was when he turns on the moon uh, lords and destroys the docks, masquerading as Roke. Wow. To uh, basically to, to sour to sour the moon lords on the inner on the inner the core planets. Total, I said it in the in the recap. Total dick move, yeah. but and I and I thought it was going to come back and bite him. I, I wrote that in the recap. Even I I was sure that that we, they were going to find out that wasn't actually Roke that destroyed the 
destroyed the docks that it was Darrow and something was going to happen with that. It didn't. He ends up getting away with it, which leaves me a little bit sour, to be honest. But at the same time, I mean, I thought it was well written that it shows just how hard a decision it was for Darrow. And sure. And th- and that's great. You don't want everybody, especially at this point, because it, it feels like in the first two books, everything Darrow decides to do is kind of the right decision. And so you don't see a lot of, well, yeah, I mean, there might be a little bit of inner conflict, but everything turns out for him. All right. This and is, this time it didn't. In, in this Ultimately it did, but it didn't in, in the short term. Sure. And Megan, we'll get to you on, on my question about the vignettes, but That's I, cool. I want to mention something on this. Um, it, it's, it's really interesting. This book is where I start to see a lot of level two stuff starting to rise in uh, Pierce Brown's writing. And mm-hmm. perhaps mm-hmm. part of it is because I've spent so much time with John Adams over the last couple of years. Um, there's, a, there's a story, and I'm not sure how accurate or apocryphal it is, but there's a story about John Adams uh, out at Braintree after he's been the president of the United States, and he's built a, a large fire and a, a, a newspaper. Uh, one, of the, one of the folks from out in town saw it was the newspaper man. So we came out to see if there was a problem, if maybe there's going to be a story. And he comes out and he sees John Adams just burning things, burning papers, burning books, burning uh, or journals, burning letters. And he says, what is all this stuff? He says, nothing, just burning stuff. And uh, by the time it's done, and this is, of course, after he's been the president of the United States, mm-hmm. it's a little bit further along in the life, life of our country. And then John Adams, uh, purportedly, according to the story, turns to the newspaper man and says, those are all my records from the revolution. And he said, you did what? He said, you don't want to know. You don't want to know what we knew and what we had to allow in order for a revolution to occur. I think what we're seeing in, and and I think that's true of all wars, of all, uh, and and especially of all wars that are um, driven with so much political intrigue. Some wars are pretty straightforward, but they all have political intrigue in them. Some wars are driven by moments of political intrigue. Yeah. This one certainly uh, that Darrow has been seeding is is filled with that. And I think this is a, a great moment to talk about, you know what, there are things that nobody wants to know. There are going to be pieces of history that nobody is going to be comfortable knowing if they lived through them. And again, sure. this is another place where in the weaving of history, we, we see another glimpse of that in, I think it's a second book, when uh, Lorna Alcos is telling him about the eliminated parts of history yeah. dealing with the jackal's father. Um, and the, and the story of what really happened to the first, to his first wife and those kinds of things. There's a, there's a, for me, at least it was a very much a level two kind of a moment saying, you know, maybe we ought to think about some of these kinds of things. And as we declassify things, as we become more familiar with things, as we become more aware, I think there are going to be a lot of things that we're going to see. And we're going to go, wait a minute, this happened, this, who knew about this? And let's recognize that that's part of the messiness that happens when we're talking about wars, especially guerrilla wars, as this one is. Yeah. So sorry about that, getting all political for just a minute, or at least theoretical political. Uh, Megan, a vignette in the the book that you were really glad about, that a piece of it that you said, yeah, this scene needed to be there. Um, I really appreciated the scene where they're at at the moon of Jupiter. I want to say Isle. And uh, it was... um... Oh, I don't remember. Now. Well, Mustang is talking with Romulus and um, Daryl is left behind and he just kind of is hanging out in this beautiful courtyard and gets to have a little conversation with a child, with a gold child, which oh, I yeah. don't know if he'd ever really gotten to do that before. Um, 
Lysander but, was the only other girl child I think that we know that he met. Right. And this this was a, a little girl who didn't know anything about him. And it's just thinking, oh, okay, so it's person here to visit. And I I kind of just want to, I just want to read this little snippet. It says, his daughter left little muddy footprints on the stone path. She didn't know who I was. Romulus concentrates on peeling the tangerine and delicate little ribbons. He's pleased I noticed about his daughter. No child in my family watches hollows before the age of 12. We all have nature and nurture to shape us. She can watch other people's opinions when she has opinions of her own and no sooner. We're not digital creatures. We're flesh and blood. Better she learns that before the world finds her. Is that why there are no servants here? There are servants, but I don't need them seeing you today and they aren't hers. What kind of parent would want their children to have servants? He asked, disgusted by the idea. The moment a child thinks it is entitled to anything, they think they deserve everything. Why do you think the core is such a Babylon? Because it's never been told no. Um, we have this this family situation outside of the uh, outside of the main conflict where you have these people who are purposely trying very hard not to be the regular golds. Um, right. And you just see that this child is just a regular child. Like she could be any child from any color. And I, I'm really glad that Daryl kind of had a moment to to see that and reflect on that and realize like a lot of a lot of who we become or who they become in their society is taught and it's not necessarily ingrained because she uh, I mean she thought he was a gold regardless because he looked like one right but it might not have bothered her if she had found out any different that was a fantastic moment we it's didn't a get a really enough. nice little we didn't Just get enough kind of a breath of planet. fresh air. I yeah. know. Do you think that moment, uh, Megan, do you think that moment was more of a level two or a level three moment? I think there are nuggets of both. I mean, there's a little bit of don't let your children watch TV before they're 12. <laughs> you know, we're not digital people. We need to talk to each other face to face and go outside and run around barefoot in the grass. Um, but I think it's also a little bit you know children are paying attention yeah they're aware of what we do and um we have to be really careful around them like what we say and what we do when we're around them yeah i think there's yeah. i think there's some strong cases for level two and level three yeah. in those um I, I i think i'm not sure that he intended um and i'm sure he probably never you know mm -mm. thought about level two and level three before he was writing the book because i'm not sure we were broadcasting before he was getting to that point I don't know I'm, if he even I'm listens. sure he totally you knows. Do, oh, I'm sure he Mr. listens. Brown. I'm sure he listens. Yeah. By the way, anytime you'd like to call us and you know tell us that we're full of crap, um, you're <laughs> you would welcome. be correct, sir. Do it on Reddit. Um, we'll see. <laughs> hey, speaking of Reddit, do we have any questions or anything that came from our our uh, redditors that we ought to talk about? Goodness, we we have many questions, but uh, let me find a good one while you talk amongst yourselves because I switched to a different page here. So I want to I want to share one of my Easter eggs and I don't know if you guys were I don't know if you guys all caught this. I don't know how many of our redditors caught this either. But did you notice uh, the name of Mustang's ship? The Deja Thoris? No. No. So Deja Thoris uh, for those of for for those two redditors that are out there that are probably <laughs> and and two of our listeners that are out there that probably caught it, Dejathoris is a reference to Edgar Rice Burroughs' John Carter, Warlord of Mars. John Carter's <gasps> ah. wife was Dejathoris. Now, please let's not think about the awful Disney adaptation. Uh, bless their hearts, they tried really hard to make that one work, and it it just did not work. And there are so many reasons why, and I have not forgiven Disney yet for doing a poor job with that one. I never um, saw it. But I, but I will say I this. Um, I, th I think somewhere along the line, maybe next year I can talk you guys into reading one or two 
of those uh, John Carter Warlord of Mars books. I have them all on my Kindle. I have them all on my Kindle. I haven't I'm read very, them, but I have them on my Kindle. I'm very ready to read them. I bought them for, I think, 99 done. cents for the entire collection. Uh, they were written in the <laughs> late, 18, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, I think it was like 1897 or something like that. Okay. I could be totally wrong on the dates. Uh, but they were, they, you know, Edgar Rice Burroughs is very well, for his, very well known for his work with the Tarzan series. Right. But John Carter Warlord of Mars, oh my goodness, I ate those up when I was <laughs> a kid and I found them again when I was an adult and I went, let's yeah. read them again. I do enjoy those little Easter eggs. I think uh, I'm, I'm not really a writer of fiction, but I, I like to think that if I were, I would throw things like that in there. In the first book, and somebody pointed it out on Reddit, um, there's a call out to Ender Wigan. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which yes. was also really fun. That I caught. Yeah. That was yeah. It's so funny. I'm glad I caught my Easter egg. So yeah. that was kind of fun. In fact, uh, as it was mentioned three different times, I was like, yeah, I can't wait to talk about this. Keep all those <laughs> Easter eggs in one basket. All right. You want a question? <laughs> yes. Give us a question. All right. Uh, this is from Broxilla because why not? Broxilla is awesome. Is. Yeah. And uh, is, he is. I don't remember. He, she told us. Do you remember? He. He. Yeah. There we go. Oh, sorry, um, Broxilla. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Broxilla. All right. Who do you think had the greatest character growth over the course? Of the series. What? What? The greatest what? Character growth over the series. For Oh wow. For them it was uh other than Darrow, Ragnar or Severo. I mean Ragnar pretty easily is one. I Severo's growth that this, this uh, bounces to a different question. It was me. It totally was me. <laughs> Ken Ken grew. Yeah, it was so weird when Ken, Ken grew showed up character? in the book and I was like three, his heart grew guy. three sizes that day. <laughs> Thank you, voice from beyond. Oh, Who shall remain Craig? Clearly, I mean, obviously, several. I mean, maybe Cassius? Just because of all of the... So make a point for several. Make, make a case for several. Well, I, th- I think there's a, there's a clear <laughs> point, a case for several in the sense that it, from the very beginning, he was, um, you know, what, feral, had a grudge on his... Uh, on or a chip on his shoulder really i mean, what was his guiding purpose you know in the institute uh, other than maybe to survive and and wanking off in the bushes yeah, yeah i mean so, <laughs> that got craig's attention <laughs> <laughs> but, there's a lot of discussion about that <laughs> through through uh you know his friendship with darrow and then into into book two where he actually goes and gets a job and then has some responsibility in the sons of Ares and realizes mm-hmm. from his father, you know, there's greater purpose in what they're doing to his attempting. And really it was attempting to take on the mantle of Ares mm-hmm. in uh, the beginning of this book and failing spectacularly at leadership because he, he really is just yeah. a hammer in search of a nail that ends up hitting a baby instead. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> It's, uh, you know, you're not wrong. That, you're that's not wrong. what he is. That's a I really mean, good description. Yeah. The the fight that Severo and Darrow have. And that that was the other question it leads into was from Rowan Kenobi. What about that conflict between Darrow and Severo? Yeah, that fight that that fight that Severo and Darrow have. I, I, I like the way that Pierce explores the issue. For me, it was it was one that I saw kind of bubbling up. Uh, and it and it re- relates to a something that we that I talk about at my place of employment all the time, and that's the difference between tactics and strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but there's a third level, and by the way, thank you, Peter Drucker, for introducing the third level. And that third level is culture. Um, <gasps> tactics are about winning battles. Strategy is about 
setting the stage for the campaign. But according to Peter Drucker, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yes. Um, yes. And and we see that as as we look at a really interesting triumvirate, and that for me at least, that triumvirate was Darrow, Severo, and Dancer. Oh yeah. Because we have Dancer who is is struggling to get um to get Severo to see something a little bit bigger and has kind of given up and is just letting Severo run whatever he needs to run in the hopes that it's going to work. And then when Darrow shows up, he's like, oh, maybe we've got a chance. And and he starts going around. Have you told him? Have you told him? Have you told him? And everybody's like, no, we haven't talked to him yet. He's only been home for you know four hours. Let's yeah. give him a couple of seconds here. Right. Uh, but Dancer is very aware that there's more at stake and now there's more burning in the minds of everyone involved than just this piece about gold's oppressing reds. It's about the way that the compact works. Um, and, and it's, it's a really interesting character study with those three and with Darrow becoming the mitigating factor. Now, granted Pierce Brown's writing this book about Darrow. And so you kind of expect Darrow to be the central, the, to be the linchpin that holds the whole thing together. Well, especially cause we're getting it from his point of view. Right. Correct. Yeah. Um, but, but I think that I, I think as we talk about Severo, um, the influence of Darrow is is powerful, but the influence of Dancer on him as well, I think, so. is pretty powerful and helps him recognize the Howlers have a culture, and that Howler culture makes it impossible for Severo to do anything but be a hammer in search of a nail. Yeah. that's what the Howlers do. Darrow, on the other hand, can has has been crafted, has been trained, has been raised, has been prepared to be exactly this kind of just masterful strategist to mm-hmm. run this kind of a campaign mm-hmm. to yeah. to eliminate the current societal organization. I uh, so it's, that's that's a fascinating. I I'm not sure if I would if I would argue against several having the greatest character development. No, I wouldn't either because I, I think I think that was pretty cool. I think a case can be made for Cassius. I think yeah. I mean, again, I I personally kind of wish Cassius had not not wish I shouldn't if if I were writing the story with I I hate saying that to somebody about somebody's work like Pierce Brown's because it was fantastic but but I I could have seen him dying along the way and maybe having a redemptive moment it it felt it, it like the author liked Cassius way too much to actually kill him so we got to figure out this really windy path to start making him turn then start making him go back then start making him turn again and ultimately ending with him back on the side of good well but i i but. think i think cassius's story had a lot to do with darrow's healing as well sure because i darrow needed some kind of um closure on that whole thing and it couldn't come through battle yeah because that was how it started with him killing julian it started with battle and he felt horrible and he felt guilty and uh so cassius I don't know that Cassius needed to live at the end, but they needed to, they needed to somehow work together at the end because they needed to have the gold and the red, right? You know, the eagle, the gold standard, gold, right? Well, um, and his is really together. His is really an example of the gold whose eyes has been, whose eyes have been open to the problems with this society. Right. Cause we talk about character development and I'm, I'm thinking about it and I feel like just most of the characters just become more who they are. Like, you know, as you grow up, you kind of have an inkling of who that person's going to be. And several's like, right. More of a solidification of character yeah, more rather of a solidification, than a change of Or you see somebody like Victra who was raised to be kind of a, 
I don't know, dictator, warlord sort of person. But that's not who she is. And that's not who she wants to be. And she just continues to become more who she is. She grew yeah. quite I, a bit, too. Yeah, so, she does. With the, with the, show, um, with the series. Yeah. Uh, we get some really. Again, I've lost my train of thought. He he does he does a really great job of giving nearly all of his characters depth. And you you mentioned it earlier, yeah. Megan, that that every every character gets a chance to be something bigger than I'm a character supporting the main character. Yeah, they all matter. Yeah. Mustang is not just the token girl who's like warm fuzzies. Right. It she began. ends she's up being not very, very important at the end. She's not very warm fuzzy anyway. No. And it began it's in true. it began in um in the second one, Golden uh Golden Sun. Golden Sun begins in the second one with Lornell Ar- Arcos. Yeah. Um we get a we get an opportunity to see a little bit more about Lorn and and see that kind of a process develop. And then he gives really beautiful uh, moments for each of those characters to express what they're express what, where they're at and where they're growing and and for me at least I guess I, I I and and I looked at this from a from a perspective that said you know we uh, and and I use this as a uh, as a conversation point in some other things that I do some other work that I do and that is the idea of of there are things that we support all the time there's a there's a thread that weaves through our life yeah um of of what is the driving force in our lives in cassius um there's something really interesting about the way that he treats the innocent and yes. if you if we go back and we look yes. at cassius um when he believed that darrow was killing innocence darrow was absolutely the enemy of all mm-hmm. right he saw that that's that's what happens with julian he makes that determination early on but then it's reinforced by uh, Octavia, by by the uh, by the sovereign, by him convincing uh, Cassius that Darrow has killed children again. Yeah. 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 And when Darrow presents the holocube that says, "No, no, no, the innocents that were killed were killed by Aja," yeah, and under blamed the on order. me yeah. under the sovereign's order, and then we see that shift for Cassius. Uh, it, it, while I love the idea that we see. Growth in Cassius. I don't think we see growth in Cassius. I think we see integrity in Cassius. Yeah. He says, when when I realize that innocents are being used as pawns, the one who does that has my scorn and directs himself yep. there. I can buy that. Yeah, and I I appreciate that at the end, it's Cassius who um, wants to raise this gold child. Like it's, you know, again, it's, it's him and the children and family means so much to him. And he's the one who is going to take care of Lysander. And help Lysander to be a good person, like help Lysander to be part of this new society that they're right. building. But, either- he, but that's that's nice for Cassius as well because he needs family, he needs people, he needs that in his life because that's always what he's had and that's always what's driven him. And he needs someone to protect. Mm-hmm. Cassius is very much a protector, and when he thought he was protecting the compact against Darrow, that made mm-hmm. sense. As soon as he figures out that he has to protect the compact some other way, and now the compact doesn't need protecting, yeah, but Lysander does. Yeah, so that yeah. was kind of that was kind of cute. Um, Rowan Kenobi mentioned something else about um, Severo's sacrifice for Cassius by hanging himself, yeah, to quell the mob, and that. Yeah, and I, I didn't realize it until now. Thinking about it, it's just an it's another callback to Red Rising, like like the Hollow Cube, where yes. where Darrow takes the lashing. Yes, you know, oh, for Tactus. I remember didn't catch that? that. Yeah, that you know that uh, 
brings Pax over to his side. That was very much a big piece that I yeah. And Severo I, does the same thing, basically, you know, growing and learning from from Darrow again. It's like I'm going to sacrifice myself for this guy who killed my father, right? Yeah. Yes. But it's part of something bigger. Yes. Prepare to die. <laughs> Thank you, Inigo Montoya. <laughs> and and it it's for the greater good. Yes. Basically, because here are the Reds rising up, you know, against the Golds because they were to kill told, them all. Yeah, ready to just wipe them all out. Because I mean, Mustang. What and, were they? And, what were they told? I can't remember. Something was broadcast that. Oh, it was it was the death of of Uncle Nero. Yes, that's oh, what it yeah. was. Oh. oh, that was awful too. Oh. Yeah, Uncle Nero. I was so glad that he was alive in the end of. Or, uh, yeah, talk about a talk about a roller coaster ride. Oh, you're back. Oh, oh you're, you're dead. gone. Oh, you're wow. actually gone. Yeah. Darrow, are you paying attention? Yeah, pretty pretty brutal stuff. <sighs> Uncle Nero turned out to be a great character. Yeah. Uh, you know what? And I I kind of figured that he was going to be. I I, I don't want to say that it was that it was broadcast or for, or foretold, but I kind of figured we were going to see him come back. You kind of thought, yeah, you could you could see it coming. And Not I, that it was coming, but. You could see it happen. What I didn't write, what I didn't realize right off the bat was that he was going to be such a uh, an integral, integral character within the uh, within the Sons of Ares and the work that they were doing. Do we have uh, one more que- one do more we, question or anything? From- do we want to talk about uh, the predictions made and predictions? Sure, let's talk about a few. Alone. So uh, was, we talked about what were our predictions for Roke coming out of Golden Sun? Because I I predicted. I, I felt pretty good about this because I, I feel like what happened was pretty much what I predicted in the sense that he was going to get his and feel a little bit of remorse for turning on, on Darrow, which he, he kind of does. Right. Sure. But, but at the same time, he's got that stubborn gold loyalist pride that won't allow him to admit it. And he sacrifices or he basically commits Hari Curry and, and, and sacrifices himself rather which than admit really that he was irked wrong. me. It's a nice. totally gold thing to do, but it really irked me. Yeah. Bro, Broke's such a wiener. Well, <laughs> but you know what? Yes. He it, one one of the things that was really wonderfully done. Um, uh, Pierce plays both Rogue and Cassius as very much archetypal golds for their culture. Yeah. Um, and and the difference is the direction that they take it. Um, for Cassius, it's about doing what's honorable. It's about that. It's about the respect of the honor. But again, it's about protecting the innocent. For Rogue, it's about protecting the society. Mm-hmm. And when they both look like they're both aligned against Daryl for different reasons, they make great bedfellows. But yeah. as soon as we realize that there's a that there's a difference in what they're looking at, yeah, they become very different kinds of people. Yeah. Here were the here were the uh, bullet points I wrote down right before I started reading. That we'll just go through the we'll just go through the list really quick. Uh, no redemption for Rogue. Uh, dies in regret but not penitence. That was kind of what happened, and we kind of all were on that one. Um, feels like Cassius gets some sort of quasi-redemptive hail face turn, sacrificing himself at the last minute. He didn't sacrifice himself, right? So no. Um, so there was that Mustang's alive and got captured, and uh, we'll engineer some escape. That was wildly off. Mustang, she uh, she proves to be quite a survivor. She is not a damsel in distress. No, she's not at all. Yeah. Not at all. And she is one of the, she's a she really is one of the toughest hombres I think I've ever yeah. read, able to read. Yeah, she yeah. she's great. Is she too standoffish? Or is that just Pierce or is that just Darrow's first person perspective? You know what I mean? It, it's I, hard to get into the mindset of, of a character outside of the first person perspective. I don't I will, know. I appreciated that they didn't make it a sappy love story. 
I, yeah, that she oh, wasn't yeah. the. I do too, but I also appreciate the fact that there was enough love story yeah. that it made it real. And you were rooting for him. And and I figured I was. I, I figured by the time that they got to, uh, by the time that they got to the city, the the sons of Aries city, and I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, and I Michael? apologize. Like uh, Tino, Tinos, Tinos, oh. yeah. yeah. Um, that that there was that there was much more to that story than we were getting. Mm-hmm. However, I have to say, I didn't predict that she was a mama. I didn't. Pre- I I didn't see that one coming, and so I was when yeah. when they said at the end. In fact, at the end, when she said, "There's one more thing that we have to talk about," and the title of the chapter was "The Veil," I have to admit that as the shuttle landed and as people started coming off the shuttle, mm-hmm. I thought, "Oh no, she's gonna <sighs> kill Darrow." After all of this, she's going to take him out and she's going to prove to be the quintessential gold. And I thought, and part of me was going, Pierce, what a beautiful twist on a story, you ugly son of a gun. <laughs> and the other part of me was going, this is not possibly how it can end. It's got to work out good. It's got to work out positive. Then when his mom comes off the shuttle and Kieran comes off the shuttle, yeah. I'm like, oh, <laughs> With a little baby, and I I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So many of these stories end with a child in some form or another, and but I, I thought that it would be like several years down the road. Heather, you know, again, they have this another, they have another um, gold red hybrid baby. Yeah, but oh, yeah. I. I did not suspect that this baby already existed, <laughs> but I thought <laughs> <laughs> No points for you. Awesome. Oh, oh. Nice job, Megan. <laughs> any other pretty... Any other pretty... Oh, sorry. You're, you're yeah, that's good. But I, I suspected there'd be a child in some way. I Once it became apparent that Daryl was not going to die, which was my prediction, and I'm glad I was wrong. I, I, yeah. I kind of thought I was... I thought kind of thought it too, and that Severo was going to take over. Yeah. I'm glad that it kind of happened that way but i'm also glad that it didn't end that right. way yes yeah there's a great resolution to that that was my that was my next prediction the sun's fight on several takes over his first dad is aries which is yes yes but yes but no no yeah. so uh epic epic bloody throwdown between the howlers and the anti-howlers i'm very disappointed we didn't get more from the bone riders yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've, Sweet points for that me. Was, that we was, just came to the point where we spent too much time together. That, <laughs> that was uh, that that was certainly that it had all the looks that it was going to fall into place that mm-hmm. way, um, and it would have been really cool to have had those guys slugging it out in those spacesuit things that they wore. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, I would have I would have loved to have seen that, but well, seen it in my mind's eye. Right. Um, I, I will admit there were some of the battles where there was so much going on. I, I lost the thread of it a little bit. Right. It, it, yeah. It was too much for your eyes to track. Like that whole well, battle with Roke and they're drilling through and then the, how then awesome. the howlers are doing something. And I don't know what all happened during I, that battle. I have to be honest. That was one of my favorite space battles of all time that it wasn't about it wasn't about uh, missiles and lasers and all kinds of stuff. It was about a drill. Mm-hmm. How awesome that we used the <laughs> red really cool. Helldiver drills. <laughs> that was really to cool. L- literally drill into gold society. Yeah. You know, yeah. on and, a couple of take it down. Yeah. That was fantastic. I, I will say, I thought the bone writers were a great metaphor for the jackals um, insecurity when it comes to Darrow. Yeah. Basically it was like, well, Darrow's so great, and Darrow's so this, and Darrow said, so, I want to be Darrow. I'm going to have my own howlers. Yeah. And call them bone riders. Yeah. Yeah. 
There's a there's a lot of a lot of Darrow envy coming from him. Ugh, the jackal. <laughs> I hate that guy. Any other predictions that we want to talk about? Or that was pretty much it? that. All right. Or for that, um, do we want to talk about the end? Let's talk about the end. Oh man, let's talk that about the end. Good ending. Um, it's a it's a very punchin ending, isn't it, it Ken? Well, it, and it ends ends with really <laughs> the only, really the only choice that could be made was Mustang taking over. Was was, was assuming ruler. Leadership, yeah, and it's wasn't funny it? because I was. Oh, it totally is. But I was reading through it and like, and uh, I, I was paying attention to the, all the people who are in that room and I'm like, oh, okay, so we have Darrow and Cassius and Lysander and the Token Girl and you know, just kind of, and then right. all of a sudden they're like, oh no, Mustang's gonna be the leader. And I went, oh, well, that just makes sense. It just, okay, it's the perfect, it's the perfect answer. It had to be a gold well, taking it, over. Yeah. If it was just a red yeah. taking over. A none of the golds would go for it. None no. of none of the golds well, who are even sympathetic. Well, she has the parentage and the lineage. Yeah, she has the lineage. She has the history. But she's enlightened. And, she, exactly, she's and and she has the the backing of the compact. Yeah. Because by putting Mustang in charge, based on the world that Pierce has built, um, we we now have uh, legitimacy to all of the things that have been done because it is a gold mm-hmm. that has driven this process. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, the, because it couldn't even have been Severo, Severo born of a, of a gold and a red, yeah. um, Darrow born of a, born of reds made into a gold. You couldn't go any of those directions because the compact is what was going to hold everything together long enough for the compact to be changed. Right. Yep. So uh, great job done. I thought, yeah, I thought that was a fantastic solution. Well, and, and that Lysander gave her the scepter to kind of show that, that passing Literally yep. passing the baton, but like the passing of power yeah. from his grandmother saying, I know I was being groomed, but let's, it, Mustang is the right choice. And he may still, I, there, who, who knows? Who knows? Cassius who knows? grooms him for, for what he's always known. Who yeah. Knows? And Mustang may not want to always be the leader. And who would blame her? Right. Well, and she walks into the Senate with the two things that will give her the power. <laughs> I kept waiting. The scepter and the former sovereign's head. Yeah. Because that's all the golds will understand. Mustang that's right. is so awesome. It's not the scepter and the sword. It's the scepter and the that's, severed head. That's awesome. Um, I, I would like to not suggest that as something we do in our own government in the future. Maybe we should do that in the uh, hierarchy of the, the podcast. So can I? Let's no. please know. Let's please know. <laughs> He's not um, listening anymore. I don't want to have to kill you guys to have to. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thanks, Megan. Thanks, Megan. I I'm don't just want saying to I'm the lowest on the totem pole. And, and let's be go. let's be honest. Ken's a little bit more red than he is gold. Um, Hell ever. He's I love he's him. much bloody more, damn. He's much so more bloody damn well. yeah. <laughs> So as we as we conclude this out, then we're we're kind of getting close to the end here. Here's yeah. one more question. Go ahead for you, only because it leads to to kind of. Um, the ending did as several people ask this did we need more after this i mean because i mean the trilogy wraps up nicely do we need another series or is this just a, a, a pierce brown cash grab as one commenter said it i like that there are more i mean in the same sense we talked about it earlier mistborn was a trilogy that really stood on its own and then we get more later i'm down with more later yeah. i liked i was fully invested in this world megan know. how about you um, I think there's more story to tell. Yeah. I I don't have a problem with it. I I would kind of like to see how this progresses. It may or may not work out well. I would suggest, um, as I'm thinking about this, that that the thing that anybody that coming into this series needs to understand is that after this book, the next series would have to follow a very different kind of an arc. 
Yeah. And it would be more about um, it would be more about government building. It would be more about the the politics. It would be more about structuring a civilization in a society. Having not read on yet, I hope it's third person. And well, yeah, that that does not sound as interesting. Well, <laughs> un, unless now look at some of the other some of the titles that are included in that. The Middle Ages. Um, Iron Gold is the next one. I, so you know we've got sure. a Dark Age. I think no, uh, or Dark Age. Yeah. You're right, Dark Age. Um, so I think you're. I think what we're looking at is. Wow, Ken, that was impressive. Ken just caught a bug out of the middle of nowhere. Yeah, right there. Um, In his hand. Yeah. And you're not shaking my head. I'm glad you wiped that on your own leg and not on our furniture. Um, Philistine. Um, I am Darrow of Lycos. Yes, sure you are. <laughs> you're Severo. Um, uh, could be. The, uh, the, the, the reality is that if, if the story continues to be one of guerrilla warfare... Uh, and, and, and the story that we've been telling up to this point in time, then it surely has to start with an absolute failure mm -hmm. of everything that Daryl and Mustang are trying to put into place. Um, if it's going to be a different kind of a story, then people who have really enjoyed this one may not enjoy it. Sure. And that's, you know, that's something that I think has been borne out time and time again, as you're looking at different kinds of, uh, different kinds of trilogies and different kinds of storytelling arcs. If the, if the arcs themselves come to a logical conclusion, restarting that kind of tension requires a different time frame, yeah. sometime in the future, yeah. or sometime in the past. Um, or a different perspective. Or a very fundamentally, sh uh, a very fundamental shift in this storytelling yeah. that's going to be done. And so, you know, either way, I'd be, I'd be curious. I'm not sure that I'd be, I, I'm not sure I'm chomping at the bit for more information, um, simply because these were, these were rougher than some of the other uh, pieces that we've gone through. Yeah. Right. Um, and and uh, I, I'm ready for a little bit lighter fare for a couple of months. Yeah, me too. There was a lot of violence in this one. I thought they tied in well for uh, the uh, the Sanderson stuff that we... I don't think it was unearned. I loved it. Um, I think it was... I, I will say this. I have always wanted a lightsaber, <laughs> but I think I want a razor. Because those are so cool. Have you seen? I mean, you're just gonna cut your arm off no matter what. So, <laughs> have you have you seen the the graphic novel prequel? No. To this, it's called Red Rise Red Rising Sun of Ares, and it's um, Fitchner's story about becoming Ares. Wait, oh, have you read it? Yeah, I read it. Oh. That could be fun. That we maybe we need to do a, a one shot on that. It's a little outstanding, bit later on. and it, it gives you it's it's kind of uh, kind of graphic. Uh, you know, pun intended. Wah, wah. Yeah, <laughs> you guys, that's twice. Wow. <laughs> but uh, yeah, oh, and, and it's languagey as well. But it, it gives you some great uh, visuals for things that had only been in your mind, like the razors, for example. You know, you get to see like a, a whip razor and that. It and uh, the differences that it draws the differences between the reds and the golds, and it'll be fun. Uh, you know, the well, huge obsidians and that. It, it's. Well, it's check a, it out. It's a good little read, and it's quick because it's graphic novel. It doesn't take long. Novel. So we probably ought to, you know, somewhere along the line, I think as uh, as our team, we probably ought to tackle a couple of graphic novels along the way. Let's maybe that'll be one of them that we throw into the mix. Okay. Um, I'm in. Well, we are closing in on uh, about an hour, so we're gonna we're gonna close this down. Thanks everybody for paying attention and for staying with us. I'm I'm assuming you paid attention as long as you made it to the end of the episode. For those of you who turned us off early, well. You missed a great conversation and Ken gushing 
effervescently gushing about blood. all kinds of stuff. About blood. Or effusively, I guess. And that's another about gushing about blood. Oh, that's <laughs> just bad. All right. That's uh-huh. enough. We can't go any farther than that. Thanks, it's everybody. Over. We'll see you next time. Bye.